Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I had a lot of friends in those buildings. Starfleet was able to destroy most of the green attack force, but by then, most of the damage had been done. You must give the enemy credit to launch an attack on Starfleet headquarters. Even my people never attempted that. We've learned one thing about the Breen today, Captain. They're a race of warriors. That's about all we know. Welcome, everyone, to a book club. Yes, a book club episode of Positively Trek. We haven't had one in a while, and that's like everybody's fault <laughs> that's associated with the show in some way or another we've had different reasons we've had to delay and take a pause in our reading schedule but we're back on it we're back on top of it this is the book club where we're going to cover the book from 2004 tales of the dominion war and i'm excited about this i'm bruce gibson with dan gunther dan Let's talk books. It's been forever. I'm so excited. It feels like I read this book um, like a month and a half ago. Actually, that's that's probably about right. Uh, and and yeah, we we haven't been covering the books. We've we've put that on pause. And I'm so excited to talk about this book in particular. Well, I'm excited about it too because I didn't choose it and you didn't choose it. So back at Star Trek Mission Chicago, I did a book panel, and Jesse Earl, aka Jesse Gender, was on the panel with me, and she said to me afterwards. I want to come on a book club episode. I'm like, all right, pick a book. And it's this book. Jesse, you picked Tales of the Dominion War. Why did you pick that book? Uh, I actually, okay. So we, also, hi, listeners. Hi, everybody. I actually picked this one because I actually have never read it. Because back when I first got this book, because I've been collecting books since I was like 10, 11. I've been collecting Trek books. And this one was always on my shelf, but I hadn't seen the um, Deep Space Nine yet at that point. I'd only seen, like, TNG. So I got it. And it's like, it's Star Trek, but I don't know what this is. What is the Dominion War? <laughs> and I was so confused. So I've had this book since, like, my early days of loving Trek and then never actually read it. I've thumbed through it and read, like, a story here or there since then. But I've just, like, now I have an excuse to actually read it with everybody. And I was very excited to to do it. So that's why that's why I picked it because it's, it's, it's one that, like, I'm always like, oh, yeah. I need an excuse to read it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why we do this podcast. Excuse to read books we haven't read mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. excuse to reread books, which surprises me because I thought this was a favorite book of yours, but you hadn't read it before. I, it, well, it's a favorite book of mine because of that reason. And also because I've like read certain stories of it that I did like. Like I do remember some of them because I did sort of pick them up and like the ones that were relating to characters that I knew, like Spock, for example, that appears in this, and then also um, uh, Loxana Troy, because I knew them from, like, TNG and their appearances then when I was a kid. So I always loved those stories, but then I would get to, like, TOS stuff or things like that, and I'd be like, I don't know what's happening. Who are these people? What's happening? Okay, sure. Yeah, because this is a mix of short stories that take place during the Dominion War that we didn't see on TV. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's some things that we did see on TV that are in the book. But before we get into it, Jesse, could you give 
uh, rundown of who you are to those people who have no idea who you are, which is surprising uh, to me because I feel like everybody <laughs> in Star Trek knows who you are. No, pr- most definitely not. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm just a dork making videos on the internet is how I initially sell myself. But uh, for those of you who haven't heard of me, my name is Jesse Ginger. I make YouTube videos, um, mainly talking about uh, political and social and LGBTQ and sometimes specifically transgender issues within pop culture and geekdom. Um, with a focus hugely on Star Trek. So a lot of my videos will talk, like take an episode of Star Trek and then sort of extrapolate it out into talking about like present day issues and things that we're, we're talking about today because science fiction and Star Trek has always been about that. Uh, always been about talking about issues of today rather than just tomorrow. Um, and so the biggest video that you all have probably seen uh, on my channel, if you've heard of me, is the Sex and Star Trek series where I made a five and a half hour video on sex and Star Trek The Next Generation and how it's displayed and thought of. So it's 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 a fun job to have, but it's a really, really weird one to have. So I enjoy it um, and people seem to enjoy it. So I'm continuing to do it. So that's me. Awesome. Well, of course, we're so thrilled to have you on the show. Uh, we've had you on the show before for just kind mm-hmm. of a regular episode, but first time doing the book club. So that's exciting. Which is which is hilarious because like I'm a huge book fan. Like book Star Trek books are actually my favorite part of Trek. Which so I'm like, have me on, have me on, please. <laughs> now, why is that? Why are the books your favorite thing of Trek? Because that's how I am too. It's it's what mm-hmm. kind of sold me more on Trek and how I became a bigger fan. Uh, two reasons. The first reason was I got into Trek uh, right towards the end of like the, the Rick Berman era. Like I started watching Star Trek week to week on Star Trek Enterprise season three. So I only had two years of like getting to watch Star Trek as it was on the air. And then after that, I would discover in reruns and stuff. But the only like Trek that I had to look forward to, like it's like a new thing coming up for a very long time was the Star Trek books. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and also my parents are divorced, so they would meet whenever they would like trade me off. Uh, between their houses to like see them they would meet at a bookstore and I would always go to the book section and just like read all the Star Trek books that were in there in the Barnes and Noble or whatever um, or Borders actually if anyone remembers that so yeah no th- that's one element of it that was just part of my Trek experience and then um, I just think the books just like are more inventive with the Trek universe not that like the Trek shows themselves aren't but like the books aren't limited by like whether they can get the actor to come in or the big budget of this scene they can like do really weird and out there and crazy things, uh, especially in now that I know it's ended. As a kid, I really just loved the like post nemesis uh, timeline books that recently finished up with Coda. So yeah, I just for all of those reasons, I I just love the books. I think they're they're some of the best parts. I love to hear you say that. I actually just recently a coworker who's just getting into Star Trek was talking to me and and all of those like questions that people have when they're first getting into Star Trek they're like how do you feel about the fact that Star Trek seems to be a military dictatorship and blah 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 and I'm like <laughs> oh you've you've just seen episodes you need to read the books like they're doing the you world building the- there that that make this universe mm-hmm. make a bit more sense. I always still argue to this day, like anyone who is like a Trekkie, I'm like, if you if you really want Star Trek, read anything by Una McCarthy. Yeah, that's like that's where the real Trek begins. <laughs> Star Trek, written by a doctor of sociology, is how mm-hmm. Una writes Star Trek. Right, so yeah, that's mm-hmm. so good. Mm-hmm. Literally any book that has her name on it, I'm like, all right, I'm already in for it. It's my favorite book already. <laughs> Yeah, she does some incredible books. And I mean, there's so many good books out there. And there's some stinkers, especially in the early days. But, you know, it's that's the thing when new Star Trek TV shows were coming on. They're so different. They don't fit the norm. You know, when Discovery, that type of 
episodic, not episodic, but serialized where everything else was episodic. It was something different, but at the same time, to me, it kind of felt like a novel. So I feel like reading the novels and like you said, doing stranger types of things in the novels, things that are different that we're not used to seeing on screen made it maybe even easier for me to accept something different on screen. Do you think that was the case maybe for you too? I think so. Yeah. I mean, like novels can get weird and I always liked weird and I, I always like experimenting with the format and things like that. And even like there's a direct delineage from the from the books to the the current crop of shows with like Kirsten Beyer uh, being on Discovery. And I think she came out on season one and then became a producer of Picard and season in that series and sort of been throughout all the shows in a lot of different ways. So. Yeah, there's like a direct lineage there, and I think that that really helped. But even like the older uh, books that you were talking about, that like are, like some stinkers, I think they're fun. Yeah, <laughs> like like even books that are bad, I'm always like I'm always I I've always made the argument I would rather a weird and bad story than one that's just sort of like yeah that's fine. It's like my problem with like big budget movies a lot of the time nowadays, where it's just like yeah that was fine, and honestly I'm just kind of bored i'd rather like a movie just swing big and totally miss or a book or anything like that rather than it just being like yeah that was okay yeah i think it's just more interesting taking some risks rather than you know oh it tested well with audiences you know exactly exactly <laughs> that's that's why i always argue with picard season two not to get off on this tangent but like i don't like picard season two it's probably my least favorite of definitely the modern shows but that being said, I still appreciate season two because it was taking a risk and doing something different um, rather than like it just had been like, yeah, that was a fine season of a show. Like I, it, like I have feelings about Picard season two and I'd rather have feelings about something rather than it just be like, yeah, that came out and existed. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It, it seems that season two, it's either people love it or, well, I don't want to say hate it, but yeah. I know some people that do hate it. Even, <laughs> even people yeah. that generally like other stuff. <laughs> right. Well, okay, let's get to this book because there's so many Trek authors that mm -hmm. are well-known that participate in writing stories in this book. But Dan, I wanted to ask you, you've read this book prior to us rereading it for this episode, right? I actually hadn't. This was my first oh, time okay. reading it. Uh, this is one that, for whatever reason, I never acquired. It's never been on my shelf. Uh, and which is crazy because it's right up my alley, right? Like I sing the praises of Deep Space Nine. I love that show so much. I love all of Star Trek, but I love Deep Space Nine. So it kind of shocked me that I'd never read this one, even though I see it referenced all the time in other novels by other stories that th these many authors have written. Um, but yeah, this was my first time reading it. Wow. Okay. I just assumed that you probably read, I guess because when I read it, it when it came out, I just assumed, oh, well, Dan probably did too. <laughs> I don't know why I think that way. But yeah, I got it when it came out in 2004. I read it, or you know, probably that year or around that time. But uh, yeah, then I reread it, like, whatever june or whenever we were talking about doing this episode <laughs> and then i kind of skimmed through it again recently and I, you know it, it helps to reread it again but i'm still probably going to forget parts and you guys will probably remi remind me I, i'll things. be in the same spot too because yeah it's been a couple weeks since i read it so i'll be like parts that hopefully i forgot you'll remember and vice versa yeah hopefully we can we can all patch each other's memories here <laughs> exactly because it's not this one single story right so it's probably mm -hmm. easier to remember because i think there's what 12 in here there's 12 yeah, different short stories yeah mm -hmm. so you know 
we're not going to go through each one at a time because I can tell you we could spend five, 10 minutes on each one. This show will go on forever, but I do want to touch on all of them. But, you know, my first question though, and I'm not going to point to either one of you. So I'll let whoever wants to go first on this because I'm putting you on the spot. But did you have a favorite story that really stands out? I'm going to jump in and it's probably the answer that a lot of people have because it just, it really stuck out on this is 11 hours out by Dave Gallanter. Uh, That's the Breen attack on earth and Picard is, Mm -hmm. is there separated from the enterprise kind of having to coordinate the planetary defense and stuff for a number of reasons. A it's got a lot of action. It's got a lot of stakes uh, and B, I mean, Dave Gallanter, having fairly recently lost him and and him being someone who I have developed a personal relationship with over the years, uh, I just, to kind of read this and realize, oh, there's another story by him that I haven't read yet, just made reading that extra special to me. So for a number of reasons, that one just immediately kind of floats to the top in my mind that's really sweet um and yeah that was a really good one um that one would be up there there are for me i think it's kind of tied between two um one is twilight's wrath which is david uh david max one which is actually the one that features the character of shinzon mostly because star trek nemesis is my least favorite star trek movie but it's the one that i had so much but like the the idea of the remans is so fascinating like this oppressed race that like are also a further offshoot of Vulcans, um, and like the character of Shinzon was so misused, but I think has an interesting place. And so actually getting a story with him within the Dominion War and how he used that to get to power, um, I think is actually a really really cool storyline to see that you normally wouldn't get to see in Trek. So I am glad that that one exists. And then the other one that I really loved was uh, it was called the Ceremony of Innocence is Drowned which is the Loxana Troy one, because it Loxana Troy. Another, I guess I just appreciate the underappreciated characters, which is just Loxana Troy is always underappreciated. And I love this storyline because it like showed her, her like kind of fierce fire that sort of gets ignited during the Dominion War. And also some of the horrors that um, happened to Beta Z, which only get sort of referenced within uh, Deep Space Nine and never really actually shown. Um, and sort of just some of the things that happens there. Um, so I think those two are probably my favorite of this one. Yeah, and that one's by Keith R.A. DeCandido, who's also the editor of the book of short stories. I did like the one with Shinzon because, like you said, it, even though Nemesis isn't necessarily one of my favorite movies, I like getting the backstory on him. It's kind of like a prequel to that movie. Mm-hmm. It really would have helped that movie even more to see that story play out maybe at the beginning. I mean, they wouldn't have time or whatever to do it, but I did enjoy seeing him that rise to power and how he got the device mm-hmm. for that ship and everything. And it was all related to, you know, how he got dragged in with the Remans into this war and took advantage of it. And so that was, I really did enjoy that story too. It really helps uh, Nemesis quite a bit because like my, one of my, there are many problems I have with that movie, but one of my major problems or two of my major problems with that film is one, it's like you learn that they're these, the Remans are this oppressed species that are like working around the mines. And then for some reason, they suddenly have the most powerful ship in all of Star Trek up until that point. Mm-hmm. It's like how and why <laughs> um, that has like a doomsday weapon. I was like, it's just sort of out of nowhere and there's no explanation given in the film. Um, so that's a problem that this uh, story solves. 
And then also just like it, it's a problem that I have with a lot of like big budget movies sometimes where they they sort of create uh, bad guys who are like revolutionaries fighting for oppressed causes. And then they make them turn out to be the villains of the piece because um, they're not doing it in the right way or using violence. And and yes, yeah, so we could have an argument about like whether or not violence is justified in certain situations. But like it usually movies and Nemesis is, is a problem with this where it just sort of makes them out to be like, I'm evil because I'm evil instead of like actually listening to the like justifiable arguments that they would have. Like Riemann's would have be like have a correct argument to be like, yeah, the Romulans treated us like crap and we have an understandable resentment against them. But the movie never really brings it up. It just sort of like, and now I'm going to sexually assault Deanna Troy because I'm evil. And now I want to have like a hissy fit and go after Earth. Like it just, that's that's sort of the major problem with Nemesis is that this storyline um, in the, this book, like at least does its best to try to fix a little bit. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, brings me to something that these novels and these short stories do a lot of like that's they do a lot of the the grunt work behind the scenes to Mm -hmm. make some things that really don't make a lot of sense (laughs) at least kind of make a little sense you know exactly exactly (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah and you know i like the stories too because it has an opportunity to do those things but it also shows us where these different ships, crews, and characters were during the Dominion War because we always mm-hmm. just got it on Deep Space Nine and we didn't see what was going on elsewhere in the galaxy. So we play off really well in this because each story that follows seems to build chronologically during the war, you know, the Breen mm-hmm. attack on Earth, and then there's some stories that play off of that until we get to the final episode of Deep Space Nine of what you leave behind, and that plays into this too. I like how that was edited together with these stories. Yeah, that was really cool. I, I didn't even realize that when I was reading it. Like, you get the Breen attack in that one uh, storyline, and then it's referenced and brought up in subsequent stories. Uh, And I was like, oh, that's really cool that it has that sort of internal continuity within there. Like, that's just a clever little conceit that they had in this that you don't see in anthology books like this often. I also really want to call out the the story A Song Well Sung by Robert Greenberger. Uh, Bruce, you and I have fairly recently in the last couple of years done all of the IKS Gorkon Star Trek Klingon Mm -hmm. novels. And we always get the reference to that story of how Clegg lost his arm and how he single-handedly fought off all these gems. And just to see that story play out, that one that one was so much fun. Like, mm-hmm. you know, as as far as 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 fun as a story of a one-armed Klingon <laughs> beating the crap out of a whole bunch of people could be, you know. And it's Star Trek; that can be a lot of fun. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, that story was really... I haven't read the Gorkin books, but I, I know of them. And so I was like, oh, cool, I get to read a Gorkin story. I didn't realize it was like actually directly referencing like a backstory that they had for it. Yeah, we get... Because they're all part of the post-Nemesis continuity or mm-hmm. or the, yeah. you know, a time to like that era of books. The inciting incidents are all like, you know, oh, this happened during the Dominion War. So they kind of get to mm-hmm. go back and actually tell that story now. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't realize that because it was a great story. It was like a cool uh, thing to see like uh, what the Klingon because we got to see some of the Klingon Empire in Deep Space Nine, but it was mostly like through Martok or Worf and and, um, and also Gowron a little bit. But it was all like very like top level 
Klingon Empire stuff mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. And so this is a story is like what was just a one-off like Klingon captain doing during this time and trying to survive. And it was just sort of like the stuck on the planet. I'm facing off against like however many Jem'Hadar and it's just one Klingon and just taking them down piece by piece was just really cool. Yes. Yes, I did enjoy that too. I See, now I'm getting more excited because now it's like, oh yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah, that too mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. And one of the ones that I really liked, I don't know if it's my favorite, but I like uh, Mirror Eyes because it's the uh, a Romulan undercover agent mm. on Deep Space yeah. Nine. And I like her being on Deep Space Nine. So it kind of felt like a Deep Space Nine episode because it had Cisco and, of course, Dr. Bashir and such. But also had Beverly Crusher there helping out. But And this was written by Heather Jarman and Jeffrey Lang. But I loved it was from her perspective of trying to sneak around and and trying to do her mission, but also, you know, they're wanting to test her because all these Vulcans have been infected with some virus or something. And they're just like, you know, oh, we want to test your blood, too. Oh, you don't seem to be dying from this, but you're a Vulcan, too. And she's like, oh, no, they're going to find out I'm a Romulan. And I just kind of liked how that played out. The, the one thing, though, I didn't like is... They called Dr. McCoy, or I should say Admiral McCoy, and I don't really felt like that was necessary. I just felt like they were just, oh, we got to put all the doctors in here because we have an EMH, and we also then, oh, we're using Flocks something that flocks, right? <laughs> yeah. right. It's it, like, it did right. feel like it did feel like like the whole concept of the story came from like let's try and find a Dominion War story that could like reference all the doctors, and so right. Every mm. single doctor gets brought in, uh, which like is a cool idea. But then it ultimately, I think, wasn't as interesting as the actual just like, as you say, the point of view of the storyline. Because it's not just from that character's point of view. It's like we actually get her like secret logs, like diary logs that she's making, Mm -hmm. which I thought was was a really cool like way to see it. Because there's like it wasn't even the logs that she was making for the station or the logs that she was making for the the Tal Shiar. It was just like her ones that she was like keeping hidden. From everybody, their like logs throughout the story was just so uh, like I, I just like their perspective because they were like, oh, if these this gets found out, I could be killed. But also, I'm just so frustrated because like my identity doesn't feel like my own. And then on top of that, like I uh, I'm just pissed off because my job seems so pointless because like everyone knows what's going on at Deep Space Nine because it's the middle of a war. So like anything that happens here is fairly public. And so I just, I, I loved that like constant conflict that the character had in the story. And so it was just sort of much much more like, I feel like the story was pitched as like a, let's get all the doctors involved. But then when they started writing it, they ultimately had a much more interesting character, mm-hmm. but they still sort of like had to go with that, like get all the doctors in here. Yeah, th- there's so much that I like about that story. That's one that when when I revisit it, I keep finding more that I love about it. And Mm -hmm. one of the big things too is it's so hard to write a story that takes place on Deep Space Nine during any of this time period because you need to find a place to put it that makes sense when you pretty much see everything that's happening day to day. And Mm -hmm. I thought it was brilliant that if you notice, Captain Sisko is not in command of the station. Colonel Kira is... That's because this is between the end of season six and the beginning of season seven. You've got like two or three months there to kind of play with. So, yeah, yep. the Enterprise visited and there was a big, huge pandemic involving Vulcans. <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. You know, that It would be weird to think that that happened between, you know, Chimera and Field of Fire in season seven or something. But it works there. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just so well crafted and makes such good use of that setting in that time period. I love it. 
Mm-hmm. No, it was very, very clever. Like, yeah, that was an, also an excellent story. I like Field Expediency by Dayton Ward and Kevin Dilmore, too, because even if you don't read the SEC novels, the Starfleet mm-hmm. Corps of Engineer novels, it still plays well. You don't need to have read any of those novels. They were a bunch of ebooks back in the day, and they were republished as short stories in different uh, printed publications. But you have the USS Da Vinci and these characters of Duffy and Stevens, and they're fighting the Breen forces. And I liked how these are engineers that, what was it, some device or something they had to get out of the crashed ship. And, Mm. you know, because they didn't want the Breen to get this, you know, device and this information or whatever on there. And uh, I think it was Duffy, which one? No, Stevens gets hurt or... I can't remember which one. I, I think, think it was Stevens. Was, I think it was Stevens. I think yeah. correct. And then you have like these other officers, Starfleet officers help, there to help. I, I don't know. I just, that one was kind of fun for me. I mean, because it wasn't fun just like, oh, fun. Ha ha ha. No, it's war, right? I mean, they're dealing with war and shooting off these Breen and worrying about being attacked, worrying about dying, but they have to get this information out. They can't get to the ship, so they have to survive. I thought that was an interesting book. And that, yeah, by Dayton Ward and Kevin Dilmore. So yeah, that was a good one for me. That, that was a fun one to showcase what people who aren't soldiers are doing during this and, and the, the uses they're being put to during this war effort and stuff. I, I thought that was fascinating. And the little kind of um, turns the story took with regards to, you know, Captain Gold kind of saying, you know, look after my engineers and the the op, the intelligence operative being like, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> we got them kind of thing. It's interesting, the kind of interplay there. It felt like a little bit of like very lower Dexian in, mm. in a kind of a way. It, not necessarily in them being like lower decks in terms of their rank or anything like that, but in terms of their necessity during the war and still like actually being of use and like needing to get this like green MacGuffin that they're trying to bring back. Yes. Any other standouts that you can think of that stand out to you? I mean, we got the first story, What Dreams May Come by Michael J. and Friedman. And I enjoyed that because that had the Vorda in it. Mm-hmm. And it had this character, Draz, who was the servant, and telling the story of, oh, you know, I had this dream that I was off planet and I could do these things. Or he's like, oh, you're a servant. You could never do these things. But oh, no, there's a secret identity in Draz. <laughs> yep, it was it was that was so great. Uh, I mean, I saw it coming uh, before, like it actually got revealed. And I was like, oh, Vorda, you're you're in for some pain. But it was like it was one of those like. Kind of, it felt like a, one of those like Shakespearean tragedy sort of things where you just have like the very like uh, Lord Ruler sort of sitting on his throne, and be like, ah, 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 I'm just sitting here enjoying myself without realizing the the pride cometh before the fall, as they say. Um, so I thought that that was a really cool, like cute little story to start off with. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the kind of ratcheting up of tension because it's from the Vorda's perspective it had kind of an almost Mm. telltale heart feel to it where Mm. yep yep. that slow dawning of realization of what's happening and how much trouble he's actually in I I enjoyed that aspect of it for sure that was fun Mm -hmm. it also kind of showed us how um the the Vorda sort of disregarded first contact rules like the Federation be like we need to protect these planets we can like can't go there um, the board is like, oh, yeah, these like these backwater plants. We'll just set up, make ourselves gods. 
uh, for a while. And yeah, they'll figure it out eventually, but by that point, we'll already be too ingrained and we'll have already gotten what we needed from them from the war. So just showcase a, showcase a different philosophy around this time that the Dominion was willing to use um, in order to get what they wanted, the resources they needed from the war, which was an interesting sort of like background element. You know, Michael Jan Friedman is also known for writing a bunch of the Stargazer novels. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I didn't say at the beginning of this episode, and it's too late to say it now, but we are getting into spoilers here. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but anybody who listens to our shows know that we dive right into these. But the secret agent is revealed to be uh, Ben Zoma, who was security chief on the Stargazer in Michael mm-hmm. Jan Friedman's novels. And I mean, I have only read maybe mm, one or two of those. So, I mean, I'm not that familiar with them, but I did recognize the character's name when I got to the end of this story, but a lot of people wouldn't, but um, it, it is kind of revealed that he is working with Jean-Luc Picard because he does contact him. So again, I love the play off of novels, you know, they just don't play off of what you see on screen, but they play off of other novels that have been out there. And uh, just add more and more to it. Yeah, this is what I miss about like, and we're still getting that with with some of the um, uh, books that are coming out now that are in the sort of the new uh, timeline, uh, sort of post uh, like Picard timeline where they do kind of interconnect a little bit. But I do miss that uh, this era of like Star Trek novels where you just had like, oh, like this author writes like this series of novels a lot of the time, and this author writes this series like Peter David writes the New Frontier novels or whatever, and then those characters suddenly pop up every once in a while in other things and get referenced. Um, so that, th- this book sort of was like a nice like, little way for those to all weave through. But also the book does a good job where like if you don't know those things, it still works as its own like singular story. Yeah, it's it's a nice little treat if you're aware of the, those things. It, it it rewards the longtime readers while not alienating the, the newcomers, right? So mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, that's why I tell people all the time. Even if you don't read other Star Trek novels, I mean, they they catch you up or you don't even need to read those novels to know the backstory when you're picking up another novel. You'll The story is good enough as it is. And speaking of these little treats, Night of the Vulture by Greg Cox, the next one in this book, does that mm-hmm. thing too. Because wasn't it the Q Continuum novel, Stan, that we read that uses the beta... 12a entity yeah the little uh the little spinning ball of light that feeds on hatred and and mm-hmm. racial prejudice and stuff yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, that was fun because it was nice to see a little tos um reference and also getting to see things from its point of view too um which is kind of interesting i loved that and also like seeing how it was like very very hungry during the middle of the dominion war or very like getting to build up all the resentments of a war mm-hmm. um showcases like oh this is this is a uh, Feeding time, I guess, is the best way to put it. I, I was thinking during that story that like Star Trek does this thing where it does outlandish, weird, alien, sci-fi, crazy stuff until it's like, oh, no, we need to focus on a real world allegory like a war. And it's like all of that stuff kind of just pauses for a while while we do, you know, war allegories and stories about soldiers and that kind of thing. But this is the Star Trek universe. All of that stuff is still out there. And how does that respond to, you know, a, a quadrant spanning conflict where there's these vast armies facing off? And so, yeah, a creature that feeds on hatred and, and fighting, what would their feeding grounds look like during this conflict? And, and what might that result in? I, I really liked that. I thought that was great. And, and it died, right? At the end, or it gets stuck, doesn't it? Or I think stuck it gets stuck or the, something. Yeah, the 
the black hole or something, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think there's like some sort of like spatial phenomenon, a black hole or something like that, that it just, it feeds for too long because it gets so sucked into like pitting all these people against each other that eventually it does sort of just stay too long and then the ship gets caught and I think in the gravity well or whatever and now it can't escape for forever. And whether or not it starves to death or not, we don't know, but it's sort of hinted at that it's stuck there for the rest of the time. Yeah. And I like how it's referred to, it's just an asterisk with <laughs> parentheses around. And we've seen that used in other Greg Cox books about this entity. So that was familiar to me to see that too. I'll never look in an asterisk the same way again. <laughs> it's going to, it's going to, an asterisk can uh, make you uh, feel racial resentments. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Dang, dang asterisks. <laughs> Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Positively Trek is brought to you by our wonderful supporters on Patreon, including our Constitution class supporters, Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, Carl Morris, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, Paul D. Kinnear, Jesse Earl, and Justin Ozer. Thank you all so much for your support of Positively Trek. If you would like to become a patron of the show, go to patreon.com slash Positively Trek. You can get early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, and more. Once again, that's patreon.com slash positively trek. Thank you all once again. And now let's get back to the show. Well, you know, before we get to some other of these other stories in here, I want to mention this other thing. So at the beginning of each story, it kind of gave you a little brief history of where the story takes place or what events happen before this story. And then after that, it would give you like a little bio about the author. Mm. And I have to admit, I did read the, you know, the little history thing at the beginning, saying it up, but I didn't read about the authors because I know all these authors, so I didn't feel like I needed to, but I was just curious if, if any of you read those. I did. Uh, I do remember. I, I definitely did read them just because I, I don't know. I have this weird thing in my brain where I'm like, oh, the author put some work into writing this thing. I have to honor them, you know, because they'll totally know if I read it or not. Um, but yeah, I, I <laughs> it's it's one of those things that like sometimes I'm like oh that's interesting that's cool and then other times and I hate to say it where I'm like oh I just read that and I did not retain any of that sorry <laughs> sorry Greg Cox love ya <laughs> that was pretty much my feeling out too because yeah I don't I don't remember any of them to be quite frank because I do know vaguely know most of these authors so I was like oh yeah yeah that's that author that does this thing it was nice to sort of touch upon like some of them would say like um oh, this author writes like these novels or these types of books that sort of like give a little prelude of what characters might be in the story. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really remember too much. Yeah. I didn't read them. I, I, I kind of know what you say, Dan. It's like, I felt like I should, you know, because it's there. I mean, that's why I have the book is to read the whole thing. But at the same time, I'm like, why should I read this right now? Because I already know who these people are, what they've written. I mean, I glanced at them, but I just didn't sit there and just read it word for word. So I was just curious if 
if any of you had done that or not. So what, what we're saying is if any of those authors are listening right now, we hate you. Uh, <laughs> David, David Mack or Dayton, uh, Dayton Ward or anybody, Peter David's listening. We hate you. That's the long and short of it. <laughs> we hate you until we read your bio and then we appreciate you. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Okay. Um, <laughs> so then we have another story in here where the, with involves the Romulan Senate and they're trying to decide if they want to ally with the Federation or the Klingon and the Klingon Empire and finding the Dominion. And Spock is involved. And Jesse, you mentioned earlier in this episode that you remembered Spock was in this book. Yes. And so to be fair, I actually remember reading that story when I was a kid because it was like, oh, I know Spock and Unification and all that stuff uh, because I'd seen Unification at that point. Um, so I remember reading the story and enjoying it. I will say reading it now it honestly didn't work as well for me. Mm. Um, just be, I think it was probably one of my least favorite ones, which is sad because it feels like it should be one of my favorite ones because I do love like political machination stories. And I always love like the idea of exploring Spock on Romulus more whenever he's on there. I'm sort of like interested. But yeah, for some reason, I, it, the, the story, and maybe you'll disagree, but like Spock felt a little bit out of character in this story for me. Like he's felt a little bit more like emotional and, and angry at certain points and sort of dismissive of like other Romulan characters at certain points that in a way that like didn't really ring true to me as well as uh, I think his character normally would. Um, and, th- and that's just me, but uh, maybe I'll disagree. But yeah, it just, it, it, I don't know. It just, his characterization just didn't really ring completely true. Yeah. I, I've got to agree. I, I feel like for me, this was probably the weakest story in the book for mm-hmm. me, just as far as, uh, feeling like it was very divorced from everything else that was happening in Mm -hmm. the war. And then, as you say, Spock just, you know, it's a different Spock than what we're used to. And part of that for me is I've not read, I don't think any of the Josepha Sherman and Susan Schwartz Spock novels, of which there are quite a few by this point, a, a number of trilogies, I think, that they've done. Uh, dealing with Spock and his reunification efforts and and other points in his life and stuff. And I'm wondering if this story might be much more appreciated had I read some of those stories and could kind of Mm -hmm. see like, oh, this is where the authors are are getting this from and kind of fitting it in. But yeah, for me, it just, I felt a little bit too cast adrift by the story to find kind of those those anchor points where I I could connect to it. I, I was not yeah, I was not really engaged by the material on a number of levels. Yeah, and there was also like at the end of the story, there was this sort of, so part of the story involves, and I'm trying to remember because it's been a hot minute, but uh, this emperor was uh, old at the time, and this is like right before, um, uh, 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 when I'm blanking on it, the very famous, it's a fake uh, mm, episode. In, the, pa- on in the, the pale moonlight. In yeah. the pale moonlight. Thank you so much. It's right before that. Um, and so it's like Spock trying to sort of get people involved in the war and the Romulans sort of arguing about that, about whether or not they should join or not, because they're not idiots. They know the Dominion is somewhat um, like not completely telling the truth and they're always distrustworthy, uh, just distrusting people in general. Anyways, the the Romulan emperor uh, gets uh, supposedly murdered and the story kind of ends up with like Spock kind of confronting the freighter at the time. And, like, having this, like, logical argument about the display of bodies. Uh, and, and it's an interesting sort of, like, argument, but it ultimately felt like it wasn't really, like, going anywhere that felt pertinent to, hit, like, the entering of the war. You know what I mean? 
it just sort of felt like this sort of like him tricking this guy to get this other dude to be there. And it was just like, it was a very convoluted story that like, it just didn't really felt like it. You know, I, I like convoluted stories, but it just didn't really feel like it had much of a point that really felt like it sort of fit this idea of like, should we join the war or not? Which seemed like that would be the sort of interesting ethical conundrum here. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it too much. It takes place, of course, during the Dominion War. It's set up because they're thinking, should they join in it? But yeah, the story doesn't really focus on the war. It's more about this emperor and and this guy kind of, you know, leading to the murder or whatever and why he's doing what he's doing. I, I found the Romulan storyline a bit interesting for me, so I did enjoy that piece. And just following Spock, trying to figure that out. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think, Dane, like you said, this is a different time. For Spock, so maybe that's why Spock might feel a little different than what we're used to. But it still worked for me. It wasn't one of my favorites, but I still enjoyed the whole Romulan aspect of it. I'm starting to realize that I really like the Romulan stuff. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not really big into Romulans, but for some reason I was really liking them in this book. I think, I mean, like, I'd be interested. I think my problem is just like, I think I'd be really interested in Romulan politics stories. Like, those books may be something I would love to pick up because I haven't read them either, but I, I have them. Um, but like, it's something that I would like to be interested in. I just think when this is a short story, the story that this one was trying to tell was just a little bit overcomplicated and a little bit convoluted and, and not necessarily focused enough on, on what it wanted to, to say. And so in, when you have a short story, you kind of want to be a little bit more focused than let's say a novel would be where you can kind of have these sort of like big, long tangents and explorations. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, I just think that this story just didn't feel focused enough and ultimately just sort of left me feeling, uh, I think Dan, you said a little bit of drift yeah. um, while rating it. So. And, and I think I remember looking at, looking up a number of the characters and events in the story mm-hmm. and realizing that they link quite heavily to a lot of the storylines mm-hmm. in some of those other novels that I just... I could get that. Yeah, yeah. I just have no experience with them. So it's kind of like, ooh, this character came in and said this. Whoa. And it's, to me, who has never met this character before, it just fell flat kind of thing. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that... A uh, story I don't think we mentioned it is called Blood Sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So if anybody's picking up the book, still read it. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 definitely interesting. It's like it's not like it's one of those like trash. Don't don't read it at all. It's not horrible, but it was just yeah, just not my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so we've touched on some of the other stories that follow it, and then we get to Eleven Hours Out, Dan, which you mentioned earlier was one of your favorites, and we didn't talk a whole lot about it. But the Brain Attack on Earth, to me having this like halfway or a little past halfway in the collection of stories really worked for me because it felt like all these stories that we were getting are taken different places during the dominion war. And then this is this big event that happens that kind of sets up a lot of the stories that follow. It's the whole brain attack and how the brain are involved. And, and it just, this really felt like a tragic war story to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really, to me, sets up the like the stories before this and the stories after it. So it, it really works as a linchpin for the collection, I think. Yeah. And I also really think that like um, it, it kind of sold like like Earth getting scarred in in the war because other than the the two parter in Deep Space Nine that is before the war itself, where they go back home and sort of like the the fear that a lot of people are feeling on Earth leading from the shapeshifters leading to like a military state almost. That's the only really time you get a sense of um, 
like Earth really feeling the ramifications of the war. And so I like because even like even in season seven, you get Cisco on Earth and it seems all pretty fine. I mean, he's allowed like the war is going on. He's allowed to take two months off to go work in uh, work at Cisco's for a while. Uh, so you don't like, the war never really seems to hit home on Earth in a way that this novel or this story, I should say. Uh, lets you feel and I, and I like that I like that like earth like felt some of the scars of the Dominion War in a way that they was sort of allowed to to not be in the show and I, I have to say as, as someone who's not a citizen of the United States I, I, I can't of course know exactly what this was like and stuff but uh, you know I had parents who were vacationing in the US on 9-11 and a lot of what they were saying that the people around them seemed to be experiencing and, and that I, I saw a lot of that in this story. And, and I'm wondering if, if that was something that either of you picked up on as well, that there was this, you know, idea of, of, of this complacency and, and all of a sudden this, this can't happen here kind of thing going on, which I, I thought worked really well in the utopia of, of earth in the 24th century. Yeah, 100%. No, it definitely has a post-9-11 or a 9-11 attack sort of feel to it, um, most certainly. And uh, also the sort of, like, collective pain of it that you, you get from it um, that, like, came out of that time that was sadly used for, unfortunately, uh, very patriotic and nationalistic ends that were not so great at the time. But the, the, the sense of collective uh, pain and community uh, that you get a sense of towards the end of, this, the end of that story with uh, Picard sort of uh, wanting to protect uh, the younger uh, Starfleet uh, ensign, or was it? Or young Starfleet ensign um, that was part of like his extended family mm-hmm. uh, from from this sort of stuff, and realized that he really can't. Um, I think like that that element of it was sort of interesting. Yeah, that whole thing about oh, they can't you know attack Earth. We're well protected. It won't happen here, and it does. That even plays off in the next story called Safe Harbors by Howard Weinstein where Admiral McCoy and Captain Scott, Montgomery Scott, they've left Earth, they're on the ship, and they get the news of this. And even then, it's like, oh, that couldn't happen. Earth's fine. It wouldn't happen there. So it even plays into that story. But now I'm just curious of your thoughts on safe harbors, because they're helping, you know, they they get in touch with this other starship that has lost its captain and has these young officers on it uh, because they were attacked by Breen and the captain's dead and everything. And so Scotty and McCoy are on this planet getting their ship repaired or whatever. And this is a planet that usually kind of just stays away from anything and they don't get involved. What did you think of this story? This was probably my second least favorite uh, one, just because it felt, uh, again, another unfocused one. And and to be quite frank with you, uh, since we did read this a while ago, this is the one that kind of slides off my brain a little bit the most that I don't really remember much of it. Just I remember reading it being kind of like, okay, what's exactly going on? Like, I liked the idea of it coming off of the Breen attack of the last story. That was probably the most interesting part of it for me. The rest of it just kind of like just glanced off my head and it didn't really stick in there for at least a month or so later. So Yeah, this one... (sighs) might be my second least favorite as well i i did enjoy it there were a number of things that i did kind of connect to in the story uh one of them being mccoy and scott kind of getting this news second third hand of something that's going on but not really getting a confirmation i kind of liked that uncertainty there and 
putting myself in their place of how I'd feel if I found out that my home had been attacked or something had happened, but there was just, you know, is it still there? Is it not? That was interesting. I kind of almost wanted them to play with that a little bit more than they did. Uh, and then, of course, the other thing, this this civilization that they've encountered who knows of the Federation but isn't allied with them, isn't a member, uh, and they have this kind of neutrality going on where, you know, they're not picking sides. I kind of enjoyed that. I also felt like it had a little bit of small planet syndrome where I'm like, okay, we're seeing how this one guy feels about this and this other person. But like, what about the government? Like what? it seemed kind of weird to me that we're only dealing with this like repair base and that's, that's it. And they're setting policy, I guess, for the whole planet or something. But I, it seemed a little weird that way, but I liked some of the themes they were exploring there. Like what does neutrality mean? And you know, what mm -hmm. does, I, I mean, who knows what good versus evil is and how you determine that. But in the Star Trek universe, we know the Federation generally the good guys right and you know how do mm -hmm. how does a species that says they're neutral react to that and when given the evidence on either side and stuff i don't know it, it was interesting yeah i mean it you just made me think of um with your first part of that i mean, agree with everything that you said but like the first part of that was um when when 9 11 happened uh here because i was uh, very young at the time um my dad and my stepmom were actually in uh i believe france they were in europe and i believe it was france um, and they like had to deal with like being in another culture at that time. And I remember like one story they said was they were out for dinner and uh, someone at like another table heard them talking and said, oh, are you American? And they said, yes. And they sent him a bottle of wine oh, again, wow. sort of that like like that sort of like uh, people being very understanding and empathetic of just like the the sort of um, cultural drama and, and national drama that that was for for many people in the United States. Um, and so that element would have been really interesting to sort of see because uh, they would have had to learn about it like through those secondhand ways. So it would have been it would have been an interesting sort of idea that this this story didn't really explore. So I just you made me think about that. It's interesting how we keep bringing up 9-11 and this book was only five years after that. Mm -hmm. you know? No, actually, no, I'm sorry. Three, three years, years after yeah. that. Yes, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was around the same time that would have been around the same time that like Enterprise tried to do that storyline with um with uh, season three. Yeah, uh, the, Zindi. the Zindi arc. Yeah. yeah, it just shows you again how current issues and things of the time influence the storytellings in Star Trek. Yeah. You know, Star Trek is always about the today, not tomorrow. Like it's, it's hopefully showing us. I mean, Star Trek is always about showing us how to do the issues of today, hopefully better than we are doing them today. Like a hopeful way to deal with what we're dealing with today, but it is always about today. Mm -hmm. Well, today we have another story we know to talk about in here that we haven't discussed. And that's stone cold truths by Peter David. And this is a play off of the new frontiers stories that he puts together. And this is also, I'm probably going to guess the shortest of these stories that are in here. Cause I remember it being a pretty quick read. Actually, a lot of his books, flow very fast when I read them, but I think it was, it was shorter than most of the others. So Dan, you look excited to talk about this one. <laughs> I, I enjoyed this one. This was one that when I first started reading it, I was kind of going like, okay, 
what's going on here? And then as as you read it, you kind of start to clue in that like, oh, okay, we've got an unreliable narrator, yada, yada, yada. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, the conceit of this story that it's 150 years after the end of the war, Zach Kebron, who's a character from New Frontier, this large rock creature called... Uh, a Brykar, you know, has a son who's learning about the Dominion War in school and has to, you know, ask Zack about it because he was there. And he tells the story of the Excalibur emerging from being out of time and showing up in the middle of the war and not knowing what's going on. And there's like repelling boarding parties going over to another ship like broadsiding them like a pirate ship and all this kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, it had like grappling hooks, I think, too, didn't it? Yeah, right? yep. yep. grappling yeah. hooks. And at that point, I'm going like, what the heck is this? <laughs> like, okay, Peter David's ridiculous, but this is just too... Ri-. And then my brain goes, oh, wait, I see what's happening here. And and it's, yeah, it's it's about, you know, the glories of war and the stories we tell of war and, and what war actually is and and how it's not something to be celebrated, which is, you know, all messaging I can absolutely get behind. So it's, it's typical Peter David. It's a little bit on the nose. It's not particularly subtle, but you know, he just does not particularly subtle so darn good that I'm okay with it. (laughs) I have always, I've always said like subtle, like subtlety is like a thing to celebrate if you can do it well. And and you can be the, but like subtlety is a tool and you don't need to be subtle Mm -hmm. to tell a good story. So yeah, no, I I always love Peter David because he's, he's always wacky and weird. Like any Peter David story, you know, you're in for something strange. Um, And he never, he never lets you down in that aspect. And this was definitely that it was just a lot of fun. And Zach is a Brykar, like you said, which is Rock Talk now in Prodigies also mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool, too. Yeah, I, I kind of enjoyed this story. At first, I was just like, okay, this is kind of a cute story in a way and kind of weird. But yeah, I like then the ending. He's teaching his son, you know, about war and whatever. And it's like, okay, that, that was good. I, it felt good to be the second to the last story, I think, because a lot of these were kind of heavy where this one wasn't so much, you know, it just mm-hmm. kind of lightened the mood until we got to the last one. Yeah. And I also, it kind of reminds me again, if you keep on relating it to nine 11, um, it reminds me of at that time, a lot of my teachers, uh, when, when nine 11 happened, they kept saying to me, like, oh, people are going to ask you when you're older, like, where were you on 9-11? Like, that was the, that's always the thing that they would used to say. And this is the story that is going to be like that. And, yeah, it might possibly be the case that, you know, 20, 30 years from now, uh, whether I have a kid or I have, you know, family members or something like that who are younger, ask me that. And, yeah, that'll be what happens. Mm-hmm. The other thing that uh, that Peter David does that I, I think he, he does quite often is his characters are the smartest people in the room at all times. Mm-hmm. And of course, Zach has to show up the teacher at the end. And I, he's, he's a little bit like Aaron Sorkin in his writing in that way where, you know, every his characters have to mop the floor with everyone else. But yeah that's a good count that's a good comparison very Aaron Sorkin-esque um yeah but uh yeah I appreciate it again the unsubtlety of it but uh, I I loved what you said there Jesse about you know asking where you were when this this happened and I'm my 40th birthday's coming up there's been a few events over my life where that has now happened and in the last couple of years I'm sure there's going to be a lot more apparently mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. so that that's an interesting take on that yeah yeah 
it just, I don't know, worries me about the future. Is there going to be another event where it's like, where were you on that day? You know? oh, <laughs> it's like, yeah, there, there's always going to be. That's that's humanity, right? You know, it's there's always going to be something. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, not all bad, but yeah, that's going to be going to be a thing. I mean, people are gonna people are gonna ask like, what did you do during the COVID nineteen pandemic? Like, I'm sure that's going to be a, a question that um, you know, yeah. teachers will say 30, 40 years from now. I was like, ask your grandparents where they were. You said, oh, that's mm-hmm. sort of thing. <laughs> yep. And you'll explain, oh, one day we used to wear masks everywhere we went. You know, that's so weird. But I'm waking, I'm waiting for the next Where Were You Day. And it's Where Were You when the 14th Star Trek movie came out? That's the yeah. next one I want. <laughs> I don't know. You mean the 15th? Because Galaxy Quest, come on. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> Uh, well, that'll be that won't be for another twenty decades from now. So mm-hmm. twenty yes. decades. I meant twenty years, but twenty decades. It still sounds about right. You know, it's a long somewhere. Time. They'll, they'll yeah. film it on a holodeck. It'll be great. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, the last story is requital, and that's by Michael A. Martin and Andy Mangles, and this takes place during the events of the DS9 finale. What you leave behind and involves a character mm-hmm. named Reese, and. I have to say, this does feel like a good story to end the book with of all these stories, mm-hmm. uh, because it is going towards the end of the war, and it's the last during the last episode of Deep Space Nine. And Dan, being the huge Deep Space Nine fan you are, I'm just curious what you thought of this one. I was really fascinated by this story. I, I love any time an author can take uh, a, a small character and flesh them out and give them something interesting. And and Reese, of course, being, I think, pretty much the only like named survivor we get at the end of the Siege of AR-558 outside of our Deep Space Nine crew. You know, always an interesting story. He carried that knife with him and then dropped it in the soil as he left and had the, the Jem'Hadar feeding tubes as trophies. He was quiet. We never learned a lot about him. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, he was used to really good effect in this story. It almost felt like when I was reading it, the author almost wanted to use the other character, one of the other characters who sadly passed away in that episode, but kind of had this guy and and maybe put some characteristics of other characters on this character. But again, he's kind of a blank slate. So I think it, it works. And then the other one that that surprised me was the Cardassian officer was also somebody we saw in the final episode of Deep Space Nine, just had like a couple lines kind of thing. So I I really enjoyed that and how closely it tied to what was going on in that story. So on a number of levels, I I enjoyed the story and was appropriately traumatized by what some of the characters go through in it, too, I think. Yeah, I thought it like really worked again, especially as a, f- a final story, because it was a really uh, story about like what happens after war. And we got to see a little bit of that in the show proper, but not a lot. And while this story takes place uh, like in during that episode, I think it almost in a way, weird way kind of better grapples with um, some of those like traumas that are left after a war than than Deep Space Nine did because a lot of it was just sort of like everyone saying goodbye. It was very bittersweet and then, you know, Siska going to fight uh evil evil um uh, Uh so it was like a, still had a lot of the action. Whereas this one's a much more of a quieter thing where it's like Reese trying to kill the founder because there's a lot of like trauma and and resentment and anger that still exists even though, you know, the peace or war has been ended, I should say. 
Um, and, and it's it's a difficult thing to really grapple with, but it's just like, oh yeah, this the war's over, but like there's still a lot of scars that need to, or a lot of wounds that need to heal over and will become scars and will never fully heal. And um, I think that it's an, an interesting sort of look at that in a way that I think, um, you know, not that it's a bad thing that Deep Space Nine didn't necessarily deal, deal with that in and of itself, but it's something that it could have and it didn't. And I think the story does that really well. I mean, I think it's an important note to leave this collection of war stories on too, you know, yeah. that, that kind of drives it home a bit. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was just thinking there was a novelization of what you leave behind. I have never read the novelization, but I'd love to see this story worked into that novelization. So when you read oh, it, man. it includes hmm. this, you know, because that's what I love about some of the novelizations out there that really expand and give you extra scenes and extra character development and things that you didn't see in the movie. And this would play so well into that. So that would be mm-hmm. really cool in my opinion. But the 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 changeling, she freaks me out even on the page. I could just hear her voice and just like even she's just like, oh like I don't care if if I'm killed, you know, I pay the price or whatever. <laughs> it's like for all the things that she's done. But you know, yeah, it it was a good ending. It just showcases like her character just had no remorse. Like mm-hmm. the only reason she she um, gives up at the end is because she's kind of backed into a corner because she she personally would die um, otherwise, and and she was willing to just let everyone die around her um, if Odo hadn't offered her that chance to survive at the end there. Um, so yeah, it just speaks to like she didn't stop the war because she believed in peace and wanting to end it. She was ready to like like so like salt the earth. Um, but, uh, yeah, so this, it just makes her even more terrifying at the end here. Like, cause it's mm-hmm. like, it, it, you know, you, she deserves to go through a trial and be held up for, for crimes or whatever that determines to be is the case. But it's also sort of like, yeah, you understand a lot why Reese would be, uh, wanting to say like, she deserves to die because she's a terrible, terrible person. Um, and again, not to say that it's a right choice and that she should be, you know, held accountable via a trial, but you understand the emotion. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's it. I mean, those are all the stories. And then the book ends with the Dominion War timeline that Keith are, that Keith DeCandido put together. And I, I mean, I didn't go through and read it you know, word for word. I just kind of skimmed through and picked certain parts of it. But the thing I like about it, it doesn't just acknowledge the timeline of what happens in this book or in the DS9 episodes, but what has taken place in other books, such as The Lives of Dax and Prophecy and Change and the comics and so on and so forth, even the Strange New Worlds anthology stories. And it gives you a timeline that combines all those into the back of this book. So you can get a full aspect of what was going on during the Dominion War. I don't know if either one of you read through those or not. I didn't. I just sort of glanced at it. Mm. I didn't read the whole thing. Though funny you should mention, just random aside, just because you made me think of it, the uh, Lives of Dax book was my first Star Trek novel that I ever bought Oh, uh, randomly. Anyways, uh, just as an aside. <laughs> Very cool. Um, yeah. Put that on the list. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, uh, that's another one that I have not read. It was the first book I got because it was it was in a dollar. Sorry, this is an aside. This is a random uh, thing, but like I was in a dollar store. It was a Dollar General, and it was in those like you know those like crappy like little book sections that they have in Dollar Generals. And I was like, oh, it's a Star Trek thing. I don't recognize these characters because I hadn't seen Deep Space Nine at the time. But I but I want it. Uh, so yeah, that was that that was my first book I've ever owned and never read. So I, I still wow. have it. Oh, that's yes. awesome. Yes. 
Yes, mm-hmm. I have that one. And I think I only read the first story. And I always think about, I need to read it, need to read it, need to read it. And oh, it's wow. sitting on my shelf. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but you've read it, Dan? A long time ago when it first came out. So uh, it's been a long time. But yeah. It's been a long road. Getting yeah. from there to here. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So, Jesse, what are your final thoughts on Tales of the Dominion War? I thought this was really, really great. I mean, there's a couple of stories here and there that I wasn't so fond of, but on the whole, I thought this was just a really, really great collection. Uh, Not only because it gives you a peek at, like, all of the different uh, places that a lot of our different characters throughout all of Star Trek were were during the Dominion War, like uh, Picard and uh, a couple of the characters in the books, but it also, I think, thematically, I think it just interestingly, like, weaves together just a, a really good portrait of what war is like a sort of like tales of glory that you get from Klingons the sort of like looking back and retrospectives on it the trauma that comes after the war um these people who like feed on war and like are warmongers um the the pain that comes from being within it people who aren't soldiers but have to live during a war like I think there's just like this book just really gives a full fleshed out feeling of of what war can really be like during in a civilization like this and, and the the just totality of it. So I think like it's a fun Star Trek book and yet also I think just it pays homage in the best way to what Deep Space Nine was trying to do with its uh with the Dominion War in general. So I think for that I think it's a, it's a really great collection. Awesome. That sounds great, Dan. Yeah, I'm I'm going to agree 100% with all of that. And uh, it, it's funny how long it took me to read this book and, and had never read it up to this point. And I, in retrospect, I feel like part of that might be some subconscious idea that I'm not a fan of war, obviously. I don't like things that glorify war. And I feel like maybe mm-hmm. this cover at some point said to me, like, ooh, the glories of war, the, you know, raising the flag and all that stuff. Which It is sort of referencing, like, Iwo Jima. Yeah exactly yeah yeah which you know is kind of a bit of a silly fear on my part because i know star trek and more important and even more importantly i know star trek as written by all of these authors so you know that fear Mm -hmm. is completely unfounded there's there's stories that run the gamut as far as war goes in here there there are the the things that you know, say the righteousness of soldiers marching off to honorable battle and all this stuff, but it's counter it's countered with the real trauma and the real scars that war produces. And I feel like it's uh it's a very well rounded representation of Jesse, you put it perfectly, what war means to a civilization like the Federation or the other civilizations that got drawn in over the course of the war. So Mm. yeah, I highly recommend this collection. I found something to enjoy in every story, even the couple that weren't my favorite, you know? So uh, every story I think is worth a look. And there are some real gems in here that are some of the best Star Trek pros I've read. So in my opinion, very highly recommended for this one. And also one other thing we didn't touch upon, too, uh, we, I mentioned it earlier, but there's that Loxana Troy story that we didn't talk too much about that I, I also think is just a great look at, like, civilians, uh, how civilians sort of, like, have to deal with this sort of thing. And she becomes, like, a sort of, like, a resistance leader on Beta Z in that story, yeah. which I think is cool. And also, uh, I, I didn't even think about this, like, um, Mr. Hood dies 
um or mr uh her like uh, oh, mr her, hom uh, yeah hom mr hom excuse me he dies in this and it kind of explains where he was like yeah it's like wow that's that's dark and it's it's rough so, i've yeah, forgotten no, about actually. that yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and he even speaks, and they're like, "Oh, I didn't know he talks." <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's a very bittersweet end, but I mean, yeah, it showcases like real loss, you know. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. No, that that was a really good story. I mean, there, yeah, there's a lot of good ones in here, and even the ones that we were saying are least favorite are still good ones. You know, they're all good. There's just some that you know we like better than others, and I don't really have much more to say than what the two of you have said about it. It's, mm-hmm. it's to me if you are into deep space nine, then you would want to read this book, even though it's not all DS nine, but it's the dominion war, which of course is a big piece of DS nine. And it gives you what's going on throughout the star Trek universe. And as we were talking through this here at the end, when I was listening to the two of you, I'm going to make a uh, plea to Simon and Schuster to do something similar during the Klingon war from Star Trek discovery, Mm. because Mm. you're not going to step on any toes because they've moved on to the 32nd century. So let's see what other starships were doing during that time. And we had John Jackson Miller do what the enterprise is doing that time, but I'd like to see. Oh yeah. I forgot that we got that book too. Yeah. Yeah, It would be interesting. And it would be really cool with regards to that too, is you've also got a nice built in chunk there where discovery was gone for six months of that war right they jumped ahead mm-hmm. and we've got that nice six month period to play with in which the federation was was brought to the brink right so yes that's, that's when it needs to take place yes in that six months that we didn't see i love it yes that's what we need so simon schuster get on it and uh dan and jesse will write one of the stories for you <laughs> i'd be happy, oh. be happy to um i <laughs> i mean i would too but uh, don't expect much <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll do a quick rating and then I want to hear what yours are. So I'm going to give this four out of the five doctors in one story. (laughs) So Dan, what what do you say? Oh man, Uh, that's a, that's a good rating. I'm going to give it, hmm, I'm going to say four and a half out of five grumpy dock workers that don't want to fix Federation starships. (laughs) Nice. Jesse. I'll give the same as you, Dan, 4.5 uh, grappling hooks that try to <laughs> like grapple onto the Excalibur uh, out of five. So yeah, four and, four and a half. One, four hit and then one glances off, but it gets close. <laughs> I, I was going to say four and a half, but I didn't want to chop a doctor in half. <laughs> so <laughs> I just went four. But I guess if you're going to chop one and a half, it should be the EMH, right? I was going to say, he glitches, so it's only his legs appear. Oh, there you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. You hear him. You'd hear him complain about that. My only, my, or just his top half is like only my top half. What's going on here? Complaining and whining about. You'd know he would. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Jesse, when you're not here on Positively Trek doing a book review, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on YouTube at Jesse Gender. Like I said before, that's where uh, I do sort of my big video essay type stuff. Um, I have videos coming out at least every other week or so, sometimes more. Uh, I've been doing interviews with like Star Trek folks as well. If you're in for Star Trek, I interviewed Jack Quaid from Lower Decks. Um, recently, I think uh, either by the time that this comes out or very soon, I interviewed Bill Wolkoff, who um, is a producer on Strange New Worlds, as well as Kipo and the Age of the Wonder Beast, and a bunch of other folks. Uh, so check out that because there's a bunch of Star Trek stuff. I have a secondary channel called Jesse Gender After Dark, where I do news, reviews, reactions. I'm reviewing Star Trek Lower Decks over there. Um, I have another podcast that I do called Jumpgate, where I uh, sort of review every episode 
episode of Babylon 5 that I'm watching, rewatching myself and watching for the first, uh, rewatching myself and then my co-host Vera Wild of Council of Geeks is watching for the first time. Uh, yeah, and that's pretty much everything I do. And since this is me wrapping up, I'm going to say this right here. Bruce, I'm going to miss you on this podcast. I know you recently announced on the last episode that you're going to be you're going to be leaving the show and it is it is very sad to hear that because this is my favorite Star Trek podcast that I listen to and I'm sure it will still remain that way with Dan on here and whoever comes on as well um to to help co-host the show. Um but you will most sorely be missed, uh Bruce. So thank you for all the the entertainment you have given me um on this show for for many months and years now so yeah i just wanted to say that i'm gonna miss you 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 do really good work so i wish you all the best in all your endeavors and i'm sure i'll see you around it's not gonna be the last time we see or talk no, to each other of course but uh, but uh but i will miss you yeah uh, week to week so well here, thank here. you i appreciate that uh yeah even talking during this i was like i don't know maybe i should stay <laughs> like i'm enjoying this <laughs> But who knows what will happen. But yeah, I'm definitely going to be leaving. But who knows, I may return at some point to do so. I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. But, um, you know, Jesse, it was you that convinced me to leave. So any listeners? Oh, no, I'm oh wow. Send the hate mail my way. No, no. Jesse didn't have anything to do with it. So yes, I appreciate that. So yeah dan where can people find you online <laughs> you can find me on twitter i'm at kurtrats that's k-e-r-t-r-a-t-s youtube.com slash kurtrats productions and of course in the positively trek discussion group on facebook which is I, I say this all the time my absolute favorite place to hang out online because y'all are really nice in there and that's awesome it's rare to find that online sometimes these, these days so thank you all who are part of that Yes, and you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underlying Rex. And you will not find me on Positively Trek much anymore. <laughs> so there you go. No, but also follow us on Twitter at Positively Trek. Also on Instagram at Positively Trek. Send an email to PositivelyTrek at gmail.com. Look for a Goodreads group to see upcoming books. Oh my gosh, we need to update that. I don't even know what books are coming up. That we need to figure out. Even though I'm leaving, we need to figure that out. So Lives of Dax may be on there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited for the Strange New Worlds book coming soon. Yeah. Like that I'm very, very pumped about. Yes, yes. You were on the panel where that got announced. I know. I was very pumped. You had me guess, by the way. You was like, what do you think it's going to be? And I didn't know until that moment. I was very excited. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun panel. Um, mm. Oh, and Jesse, by the way, if you really miss me that much, just go back and listen to the old episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to every single one. I've not missed a single episode of this show. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. Yeah, and, and I listened to a good chunk of literary trek before that, too. So. Oh, Oh, Bless so you, my that child. Person. <laughs> yes, not- I, I am that. I told you, this is my favorite podcast. There's a reason I, I literally listen to every single one of your episodes. You're so. the one person that listened to every one. That's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, well, thanks, everyone, for listening. And, uh, yeah, we'll be around next time. So go out into the world and stay positive. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.